Thanks for tuning in to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan with Adobe. For those of you that are new to the pod, we explore the world of product marketing through the lens of the women who run it at some of the fastest growing technology companies in the world. Shout out to our sponsor, Clue. You're losing 30% of your deals to your competitors. Not cool. That competitive revenue gap is costing your business millions of dollars. So how do you tip the scale in your favor? Clue's competitive enablement platform makes it simple for product marketers and compete pros to give their revenue teams the exact right intel at the exact right time. Positioning, messaging, objection handling, and FUD, Clue shares real-time competitive insights in the places your reps already live. It makes it easy for them to contribute insights from the field. All right, let's do this. Hello and welcome to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan with Adobe. Today, I have the absolute pleasure to interview Pallavi Benacharla, the VP of Product Marketing at New Relic. Pallavi is a marketing leader with over 20 years of experience building out and leading product marketing and marketing organizations at fast-growing startups, as well as at scale enterprises in software and technology. She has strong demand gen and PMM chops, and is known widely for building great teams and fostering a collaborative environment. Prior to New Relic, Pallavi has led teams at Twilio, Intuit, Cisco, and more. Welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you today. Hey, Mary. I'm so excited to be here as well. And kudos to you. What a great cause. Women in product marketing love it. Happy to be here and share where I can. Thank you so much. Well, really excited to pick your brain today and and get some of these amazing insights and just kick us off to get to know you a little bit better. Love to understand a time where you have failed and what you have learned from this. Oh my God, all the time, Mary. (laughs) (laughs) I love this question. It's humanizing, right? (laughs) You know, let me give a little bit of framing. You know, failures are happening constantly. And I think that's actually a really awesome thing because if you're not failing, you're probably not trying hard enough, right? So it's a good thing if folks are failing because you're stretching yourself, you're pushing the boundaries, you're pushing the envelope. Earlier in my career, when I failed, for example, I'll give you this very, I think probably my second job, I had hosted a webinar and I was supposed to provide a recording of our demo to the webinar team. It was an external agency that was hosting it and running it. And they had an older system. They wanted the demo link two days prior. I gave it to them a day prior because I was late. Silly mistake like that. And it didn't load and play on the day of the webinar. Oh, like, no. So, you know, earlier in my career, there were sillier mistakes like that, which didn't have a massive impact in the sense the next day I could send the webinar, the recording and folks could still see it. A little bit of reputation or ego law hurt mostly, but it was fine. What I find is that later in my career, as I took on leadership roles, the mistakes had higher stakes, right? The impact is larger and actually the mistakes are more subtle. So you don't actually know you're making a mistake and they don't appear as mistakes until much later. So I'll give another example. We were launching a product in a new country and one of the sales leaders hadn't quite engaged 
with the partner sales leader who had to implement the solution and drive market success, not directly related to my team, but as a key leader in the organization, I felt it was part of my job to catch that early, the go-to-market success and the misalignment that was happening. So a mistake that's hard to pinpoint back to you, but it's a subtle mistake if you don't realize and notice after you reach a point, but the stakes are much higher because that's a massive revenue loss for a year. So I feel the higher you go, the stakes are higher, the challenges are higher. Oh man. Well, I have to admit now I just have more anxiety about that. I'm like, what have I done recently that's going to reverberate? But yeah, you're right. And I think the thing about it though, is that it's okay. You can figure out a way around it. Yeah. You might not make as many small mistakes that feel really painful in the moment, but yeah, you're right. Thinking about the strategy and the ownership of the business, there can be things that you don't really know how yeah. they're going to land. <laughs> yeah, right. And if you have a strategy, I mean, it takes you a good one to two years, sometimes more to realize whether the strategy was even right. So yeah, the analysis and due diligence needed is much higher, much greater as you climb. I think you'd also asked, what did I learn from it? Mm -hmm. uh, I think the biggest lesson for me through my journey is because I believe mistakes are essential part of growth, it's just treating myself with kindness and grace and not beating myself up for a mistake is the biggest lesson for me. And that's it's very important in order to march forward and make more mistakes, right? Be okay with mistakes is treat yourself with grace and kindness when that happens. That is such great advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. Absolutely. Well, you're the VP of product marketing at New Relic. Please tell us more about your role and about New Relic. Absolutely. Oh, I love New Relic. This is my fourth month in. It's one of the most exciting companies I've ever worked at. It's the most innovative company in the space. New Relic provides an observability platform. And Gigaum just named us the most innovative company because, and it's true, like we are innovating at such a rapid pace across everything, across our platform, across our pricing model, across go-to-market. A couple of years back, we adopted the PLG motion, you know, Amazing technology, amazing pace of innovation, and great company and leaders. I'm really happy to be here. And I have a team of product marketers, very talented, working on various aspects of the platform, driving market success. So that's New Relic in a nutshell. That is so great to hear. Your enthusiasm for the company is just contagious, I have to say. And Prepping for this interview, I was telling a few people that I was interviewing you and actually everyone loves New Relic, so it must be fun to work there. And congratulations on the new award, was it, from Gigaum, naming you, you know, top innovator. That's really incredible. So glad to see that you're living it and that it's a fun place to be. And that's just what it's all about, right? <laughs> true. Thank you. Well, I know that you have many strengths in general and many strengths as a PMM, but one of them that I wanted to talk about today was really about positioning and not just a positioning statement, but creating differentiated positioning. Can you tell us a little bit about what's core to that for you and what your process is like? I love this question, Mary, because as you know, you're a seasoned and accomplished product marketer yourself. Positioning is sort of the 
essence of product marketing, right? Like we have to get that right. If we do nothing else, we just have to get this one, right? Our positioning messaging is core and critical to our role. The way I think about positioning is oftentimes, you know, PMMs will combine positioning and messaging together. I like to decouple them. They're completely different processes and different initiatives. So you have to do positioning in order to get to messaging. And in my mind, the trick to doing great positioning is, if you think about positioning, the positioning statement, you know, Jeffrey Moore's classic positioning statement, if you think about that as the output, then the input is a whole bunch of analysis, customer insights, competitive analysis, market trends, really understanding what's the prioritized customer needs and criteria in making a try or a buy decision for a product. And so all this analysis and insight goes into this. So really the output is as good as the input, right? So if you do the due diligence and the research and talk to customers and understand the landscape in the market, then the output will be better. And the output is never really done in isolation. It's always a discussion and debate to get to what's the competitive positioning. And when I think about the competitive positioning, I think about three things as, in a way, a criteria for approval, if this positioning is strong or not. The first thing is, is it compelling for the customer audience, right? Like, is it going to resonate with them? And is it compelling enough for them to act on it? So that's number one. Number two is how sustainable is it? What's the shelf life of this advantage? How quickly will the competitors catch up? So if you think about the first one, is it a deep enough mode? Is it compelling enough? This one is how long is the mode? <laughs> you know, how much time will it take for them to cross and catch up to this particular competitive advantage? And once they catch up, what's the next in line, right? So it's always a moving target. So that's the second one. The third one is, can we defend it? Do we either have proof points or can we build, get proof points to defend our position in the market? So those are the three things that I look for in the competitive positioning. I'm sure most people or whoever's done a bit of product marketing has done positioning in a similar way. You have the positioning matrix, a two by two matrix, and you're looking at what are the vectors or the angles in which you'll position all your competitors and where do you sit versus your competitors. And usually, obviously, you want to be on the top right corner of that, you know, matrix. But in terms of criteria, what I covered before is what I'm looking for. That's really great. And I think it's so helpful to pause on this. So I'll just recap them. It's compelling to your audience, sustainable over a period of time, and also defensible with proof points. Because the reality of it is, even though we know that, and this is a really great approach, we're often moving so fast that we maybe don't always pause to say, is this actually compelling to our audience or is it just different from someone else? Like you can't just say it's different or, Hey, the execs have approved it. And now we can check the box and move on. It really has to fall into all of these three categories to be something that's lasting and will move the needle. So thank you for sharing that. I think that's a really amazing approach. And I kind of want to write this one on a post-it and put it on my (laughs) computer to remember it. So I love that. And also the decoupling, I think is really important too. So 
not just saying, okay, we have the positioning now let's run into the messaging, but really having that moment to pause and have your own process for positioning because it is so key and foundational to everything that you're doing. So I love this approach. I feel like it's really thought out and really something that could be successful. So another topic I wanted to pick your brain on today was, you know, we talk on the show a lot about the PMM structure and how you should organize your team, but you have a really great track record of building high performing teams. Can you share a little bit more about how you do that? Absolutely. Great question. And one that I think about a lot. So thank you for asking that, Mary. My view is that High-performing teams is not some esoteric sort of, you know, org or function you get to. You actually get there with high-performing individuals. It's a collection of high-performing individuals that creates a high-performing team. And so my focus has always been to, if I have the luxury of hiring PMMs is to hire really great, talented PMMs who are, in most cases, far better than me in at least one or two aspects. So the entire team can benefit from them and they can raise the bar for everybody. So that's my goal there. And if I've inherited a team to really understand the team and up-level the skill and craft as needed, but on a personalized individual basis, right? So really unpack and understand where each PMM is. PMM is so broad, such a broad function that no one PMM, unless they spend a lifetime in product marketing, will ever be an expert in every aspect of it. So everybody has strengths and opportunities, including me. I've spent many, many years in it, and yet still I'm not an expert in every aspect of product marketing. And that's the reality for all of us. And so really understanding where each person sits in their skills and talent and grooming them to the next level is really important. So I would say high-performing team, number one task is hire and groom really strong individual PMMs. Then the second aspect of building a high-performing team to me is the organizational part, right? Having a clear charter, that all your stakeholders are aligned on, having a clear strategy and plan and measurement sort of operating mechanisms that you regularly track your success measures and big rocks and make sure you're working on those. Those are all the operational stuff. But I would say the operational aspects, regardless of how good your operational rigor is, it will not bear fruit if your team is not individually like made up of talented, skilled PMMs. So really focus on the team first and the rest is, you know, happens naturally. I'm noticing a theme here with your questions and it's input equals output (laughs) (laughs) with positioning, with your team. Let's see where else we can connect the dots. That's not a surprising answer when you think of it, but I love that you're really thinking about building up the team members, thinking about the harmony of the team and the strength that they bring into it. This isn't like, hey, go do some escape rooms and some team building, and then therefore you will have an amazing team. Like you have to be really thoughtful about the individuals that you're bringing and the training that you're giving them to, I'm sure in some cases and all of that. So I think this is a really thoughtful approach as well. I I agree with you. And I will add one thing 
the team is going to be as great as the bar you set for them. So that is really important to have a high bar and expect everybody to perform at that bar and deliver at that bar. But see, that is the key aspect of ensuring the talent and the skill. And everybody's then motivated to learn. I mean, you and I probably learned product marketing not through a college or a school. We learned <laughs> through our sheer desire to learn it. We Googled and we learned, right? And so I think if we set the bar, then the team will automatically start to learn that craft and skill and reach that bar we've set for them. Such a good point. I love that. And now this is actually a great segue. So you recently did an AMA and asked me anything with ShareBird. And one of the top questions that was asked was actually around hiring and building that team. So how do you hire great PMM talent? What do you look for? Absolutely. Love that question. Love, you know, really finding amazing PMM talent. When I do, I get goosebumps. It's exciting to see somebody who's invested their time and energy in learning the craft. I think there are three things that I look for in PMMs. The P0 item is actually cultural fit, which I assume will be taken care of anyway. So I'm not focusing on that because if you're not met the cultural fit, then you're not, you know, it doesn't qualify for you to be part of this company. So I would say that's generally taken care of as part of the interview process. But just purely thinking about PMMs, there are three things that I look for. The first is leadership. Leadership to me is many, many things. It is whether you take ownership of a task, whether you take initiative and take on new tasks that were never given to you, whether you are accountable and responsible and people can trust you will deliver things, how on time can you deliver things? Can you project manage yourself? Can you prioritize things? These are all things that come into leadership for me. And that's really important. And that's a P1. And the reason this is a P1 for me is because PMMs by definition are leaders. PMM is generally a very lean team and it's a very strategic organization. And by definition, I expect a PMM, even if you're an associate PMM, to be a leader. Even from get-go, from early in career, I expect a PMM to be a leader because in some way or shape, you are leading an initiative. You are bringing the rest of the organization behind you, with you, marching towards a goal or an initiative. So, you know, because of that, to me, leadership is number one. The second thing that I look for is the PMM craft. And there I have since many years now shifted to doing a series of mini exercises during the interview process where I can gauge different skills, whether it's positioning, messaging, copywriting, go-to-market strategy, product influence, sales enablement, all these aspects can be quickly gauged through mini exercises that last like maybe a few minutes each. But it gives me a very good sense of what you know already, what's your knowledge, and how do you think and how quickly can I coach or guide you on any area that you may not be at the level that I want you to be? So that's the second aspect, which is the PMM skills. So first was leadership, second PMM skills. And the third is only relevant for people managers. So if you're a people manager, then I'm looking for 
your people management ability and your philosophy and approach and, you know, proven success there. So helpful to hear all of that. Thank you for sharing. And so you give homework is what you're saying. You give a little <laughs> exercises during the interview process, which I think is really helpful. You need to kind of see how people think on their feet. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you with a little caveat. I used to give homework. I've stopped giving homework. It's actually a live exercise that we do so that it's gauging what you already know and where you're at right now. And it's less, I think, less tedious for folks as well, because homework is again, homework. You know? yeah. No one wants to do that. Totally. I've noticed a trend with more of the live exercises too. So it's, yeah, thinking on your feet, hard to prepare for, but you get to see how people really respond and it's more like a real life scenario. Well, great. Well, one more AMA question for you. And I like this one. I think this is super interesting because we talk often about product marketing being the voice of the customer and translating this to product and adding value in that way. So specifically, what tools should product marketing use to relay customer feedback to product? Absolutely. I love that. I'm a big believer in product marketing, really developing deep, deep empathy for the customer. And if you're not rooted in deep empathy for the customer, don't understand the customer really, truly well, then you can't really do anything effectively in product marketing, I feel. So that's number one. So I feel product marketers really need to talk to customers, not just look at secondhand information through talking to sales or, you know, gong transcripts or what have you, but really talking to customers because all of the things that you get from data are just telling you what is happening. They don't tell you why something is happening and why the customer thinks that way. And to unpack that, you really have to have the live conversation with the customer. So to me, that's really important. And once you have all that customer insights, I expect PMMs to become the voice of the customer and be the representative of the customer within the company. And if you root your proposals and your recommendations to product based on these three things, so customer insights, competitive analysis, and market trends, I think product is more receptive to that, right? So if you're bringing those insights back in a synthesized manner and using that to prioritize your recommendations and share that with product, I think that goes a long way. So that's number one. Second thing I would suggest is embedding yourself into the product life cycle, <laughs> making sure you're part of the discussions when roadmap you know, decisions are being made rather than coming in separately at a later time. I think that's key. If you're part of that council or part of that group that's collectively making that decision, then you're automatically part of that process. So I would say those two things are key. That's so great to hear. And yeah, I love the call out specifically about being part of the process. I think, you know, a lot of frustrations product marketers face are often, hey, we are about to launch something. Can you write a blog for us or make these slides pretty, you know, something like that. But when you're driving the customer data and inputs, you have to be in the room. You know, yeah. they're not going to forget about you because you need to be able to be there to help drive those discussions. So such a really critical point. I love that. that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I don't know if you found this, Mary. I have yet to find a product management leader or team 
who does not want product marketing in the process. They are actually hungry and desperate for us to join. And they want our help. They're crying for our help. And it behooves us to go and be part of that process and provide that insight and help that everybody's seeking. So in my mind, I have rarely seen a pushback here. I have seen pushback, um, <laughs> thankfully not currently, but yes, I have seen pushback, but then you prove the value of PMM by bringing customer insights, in fact, or creating a case study of how amazing a launch could be if you supported it end to end. So I have been in situations like that, surprisingly, or in situations where they don't know what PMM does really. So kind of just educating, you know, you can do a intro to PMM, but I think showcasing the partnership and the added value is the best way to do it. So ideally you don't have to do that, but sometimes at startups you do. And so really, really great to have this framework and make it where they are hungry for that data and for PMM to be in the room. <laughs> there you. So I guess I've been lucky, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want that. <laughs> but yes, luckily lately I have not had the problem. <laughs> Well, great. Okay. We can't believe it, but it's already time for our lightning round. So first up, who have been your strongest mentors? Oh my God. I've learned from almost everybody I've interacted with. There's always one thing I've learned from everybody around me, but right now I would say one of the big reasons I joined New Relic is because of one of our leaders, Manav Kurana. He is the chief product officer at New Relic. And he is in his heart a product marketer and a phenomenal product marketer at that. And so every time I interact with him for a product launch or messaging or positioning, I'd learn a ton. But truth be told, I learned from everybody. But I would say the one that's been consistent throughout my career has been all the amazing product marketers who have openly shared their knowledge, freely shared their knowledge on the World Wide Web. And I've Googled and I've learned from all of them. Everything that I know today is learning from everybody who shared. So I'm really glad we have a forum to do that through ShareBird as well. Me too. Thank you for sharing that. Just a couple more for you. What is the one thing that has been the most important in terms of growing your career? The one thing that has stayed with me throughout is my obsession with my own learning and perfecting my own craft. That is the probably the only thing I care about. And that's what I've cared about from get-go. And that has helped me grow from strength to strength and continue the journey I'm on. That's really beautiful. All right, last question for you. Why product marketing? <laughs> Good question. Great question. Actually, I, I don't consider myself a true product marketer. I consider myself a full stack marketer. The first 10 years of my life, I built and ran marketing it's ground up. So it's only in the last half of my career that I switched to product marketing. And it was a conscious decision because of all the functions in marketing, I think I fell in love with product marketing the most because it's such a strategic function. It is such a broad function and it plays a pivotal role in the company's success. So I just felt like this is my home for now. But after this last end, I'll go back to leading marketing again, go broad again. So <laughs> I straddle both worlds in some ways, but product marketing within marketing, this is my favorite function. 
I love that. Well, thank you so much, Pallavi. This has been such a fun conversation. You're so insightful and such a thoughtful leader. So thank you so much for sharing today. I've learned a lot. I think our listeners will too, and just really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely, Mary. And in this short time, I've enjoyed, you know, our pre-interview chat and getting to know you a little bit. You're such an amazing leader, and I'm looking forward to reading your book as well. That is amazing. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Thank you so much. All right. Well, thanks again. Take care. Thank you. Bye. This show is produced by Sharebird, the knowledge sharing platform for the fastest growing teams. It's the place to get on-demand answers to your questions and learn from leaders in the top of their field. Want more advice and insights? Head to sharebird.com.